0: It's good to be back with you. Oh, man, so we, I always joke with my other pastor friends at Cross Connection Church that it's like the week leading up to your teaching, something crazy always happens. So we have one pastor at our church that he's getting ready to teach, and uh, so this was probably a year or two ago now, and some windstorm picked up. So he's sitting um, in his house on the side of a wall in his nice chair, his favorite chair that he's studying in, and this windstorm picks up and picks up this umbrella in his outside barbecue And literally catapults it right through the wall. And it comes like right through just by his head almost. And so he has this big old hole in his wall right before he's about to teach. So he's just like, whoa. You know, then we would always joke too. If, you know, you're about to teach a a marriage class or something, you would always have some kind of argument come up with your wife the week (laughs) before. Um, But, you know, it's just stuff like that happens. So this week, you know, I'm getting ready to teach about having joy in hardship and joy in all circumstances of life. And Tuesday night, my wife comes up and says, hey, the water's not getting hot. I'm like, oh man, so, so that started a whole barrage. My wife is so gracious with me, I, was, I got really grumpy, and I have to confess that um, I'm not perfect, I'm just an ordinary man like the rest of you guys, and essentially I see myself as a beggar who's telling other beggars where I found bread, and that's, that's the, good, the good news of the gospel right there. So thank goodness that um, our transfer, we're being transformed to be like Jesus daily, amen? And he's uh, in that business of what I said last week, uh, God is in the business of transforming our character to match our calling. That every, every situation, every circumstance that comes up, he's transforming our character to match the calling that he's given us, that he's appointed us to. So Paul's been encouraging us like throughout all of the Philippian uh, book about having joy in the midst of life's trials, circumstances, sufferings, um, and how, how we can live with that. And he gives us the key to joy is leaving the past behind and pressing on to what lies ahead. So we continue with uh, what Paul talks about in the Philippians because he's saying, look, we're, we live in a broken, sinful world. We live around broken and sinful people, um, and because of that, we're going to have to also handle and experience division and anxiety in our lives. So how do we go from being anxious to joy? And that's what we're going to be looking at today, and I'm actually very excited. There's a lot of great things uh, Paul has for us this morning. So just op- open your Bibles this morning. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 4, um, starting in verse 2, and we're going to be reading until verse 9. I think it's also up here behind me on the screen. So if you guys would read with me, Philippians chapter 4, verse 2. It says this I entreat Iodia and I treat um, Syntiki to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored with me by my side in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Just all by your heads and let's pray as we open the Word of God. Father, we thank you for um, your Word. I pray that your, your Word would be a light unto our feet, our feet, Lord. Would you show us your ways this morning? Would you teach us your paths and lead us in your truth and teach us, Lord? And I pray that your Spirit would do that work in us this morning, Lord. I pray for those this morning who maybe have their lives uh, being wrecked by anxiety, Lord. For those who um, are in the midst of conflict this morning, Lord, would you resolve that? And I pray that you would give us peace, Lord. Would you show us what it looks like to have your peace this morning. So Lord, I pray that you would give us the, the, the perspective, Lord, of a citizen of heaven this morning, and that we would have unity with one another through you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' good knowing, him, and the church said, amen. amen. So we have a lot, of, a lot of things we're going over this morning. What's, what's funny is Paul opens up this letter, and like I said last week, we, we talked about Paul, you know, he's in, in jail, you know, he's in, in jail in Rome. And about 900 miles away, this church in Philippi is over there. They're growing. They're doing great things. And he gets news in prison in Rome, about 900 miles, in a big boat right away. And it's not good news. It's bad news. It's that there's this division between these two leaders in the church, Iodia and Synedeky. And these are two Christian, mature women in the in Christ. And we can gather, kind of from what we get, we you know we can assume a little bit there that they might have been you know as their labors with. Paul in the gospel of Christ, that they were probably there for the church plant in Philippi. These were mature Christian believers, and yet I find it funny that back then in 80, around 62, this was a long time ago, that bad news traveled so quick. (laughs) That Bad news could travel so quickly, and how much faster does bad news spread today? If you flip on your, your news channel at home, it's almost always bad news, right? It's almost always bad news. And and I think that that can be bad for us. We have to have some good news in our life, and that's why we have the gospel of Christ. We have to have some good news. We have to meditate on something good. If we just keep looking at the bad happening around the world, we're going to get depressed. We're going to get anxious. Bad news travels quick. Christian bad news travels even quicker. I'm not even kidding. Christian bad news travels very quickly. You'll hear about other churches and pastors like, oh, why'd they step down? And, and all of a sudden, it's like bad news just travels really, really quick around the church. So Paul's addressing this issue because he's saying, look, God's heart is that we would be unified church. God's heart is that his family would be living in unity, that we wouldn't be divided about silly things that that we shouldn't be divided about. And in the church in Philippi, this was specifically these two women of the faith who were leaders in this church, who everybody knew in this church, and they had this division, and it was causing anxiety amongst the other people in the church. It was causing anxiety, and this isn't good. So Paul addresses this. He says, I entreat Iodia and Syneki to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So we don't know what this disagreement's about, but from what, what we have in the scriptures, Paul, we know Paul is not a coward. We know that he's not shy about addressing theological, or sin issues in the other churches that he wrote to. You know, you look back in 1 Corinthians 5, and Paul's calling out this church and saying, you need to remove this man in your fellowship that's sleeping with his stepmom. It's not good. It's not good. You need to remove this sin out of your fellowship. You, you, need, you need to fix this. And in this case, Paul didn't shy away from addressing any sin issue with Seneca or um, Iodia. So, we don't know exactly what this is. There's a lot of other commentaries that say, like, it could have been this problem or this problem. It really doesn't matter. The Bible is vague, and where the Bible is vague, I'm going to be a little vague on that. So, we don't know what the problem is, but there's a disagreement between them. It's not theological or sin, but it's causing division in the church. It's causing disunity in the church body. And, and, and Paul's saying, this isn't good. These, lab, these women labored with me in the gospel, they love Jesus, and yet something came up, and they're divided. Being part of a church body now for many years, I've found, and I was just joking with my wife about this this morning, that wherever two or more are gathered, there's going to be a disagreement. <laughs> and it's just so true, right? Wherever two or more are gathered, there's going to be a disagreement. You might like decaf. I might like regular coffee. You know, with my wife, she likes essential oils. I love guns. You know, there's going to be different things that we disagree on, in a sense. And I'm, I'm just joking there lightheartedly. And, and God's heart here is that we would have unity and that there's certain things That We can fight over and there's certain things that we really shouldn't fight over as Christians But let's just look over God's heart for unity in the church. If you go to John 17 verse 21 It says this that Jesus is praying for his disciples here. He's saying You know asking the Lord that they might be one just as you Father and I you are in me and I in you he's saying like Lord we are one I pray that the church would be one God hates division in his people Titus chapter 3 verse 9 and 10 But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. They are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Then you can jump to Romans 16, verse 17. And you guys can write these in your notes and go back over them later. I just want to read them for you. I appeal to you, brothers, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. Paul's been talking to us a lot here about... Remember what you've learned in the scriptures. Stay true. Stay obedient to what we've learned and what we've attained in the scriptures and stand fast and firm in the Lord in that and what you've already learned and keep growing, keep learning. Leave what's behind you and press on towards the future. Have that vision for you. Unity, I found though, is quickly lost and slowly gained. Unity is quickly lost and slowly gained and you guys have realized that I'm sure being in a church family for many years, if you have, if you're new, you're gonna learn that. Unity is quickly lost and slowly gained. What starts out as a personal conflict will quickly become a divisive church issue. And Paul's saying this isn't what should be happening. This isn't what should be happening. And Paul's point here, also in addressing Iodia and Syntyche, is that unity amongst leadership, especially in the church, is crucial. If there's any kind of disunity, disharmony amongst the leadership in a church, people are so quick to catch on and see that that that's happening. And they're so quick to jump in and take sides. And what I found is, especially amongst people, people don't side based on facts, they side based on friends. Whenever there's disunity, there's disharmony, there's conflict in the church, people will almost always, without a doubt, side with who they're friends with. So it's important that we, that, we, that we actually have the correct perspective here, because disunity or conflict leads directly to worry, directly to anxiety, and frustration. And those are three things that none of us need more of in our life, amen? So how do we handle disagreements? Why is unity lost so fast? Well, one of them, I would say, is gossip. Unity, is, unity dissolves very fast because of gossip you'll get somebody in the church that says, did you hear what the pastor said to so-and-so and how they reacted? And then all of a sudden it becomes like, you know, the game of telephone, if you guys have ever played it, one person says something in somebody else's ear and by the end of the line, it's something completely different. And that's usually what happens is the story changes over time and the facts get a little bit skewed and all of a sudden you have this, this different perspective and this different story and quite honestly, assuming something is you're, is you're, you're telling yourself that my perspective on this situation, on this conflict is the right perspective. It's the only perspective. It's the only way to look at this when there's multiple perspectives. You've got to be able to look at both because we know what assuming does, right? <laughs> it makes a King James donkey out of you and me if you guys get my, my riff there. And your perspective matters. God, God is trying to remind us that our perspective matters. There's two sides or more to each story. I remember a pastor once told me the story of a counseling appointment he had with this, this woman who came in with a black guy, and she's complaining, my husband hit me, my husband, I can't believe that he did this. And so the pastor's ready to get up a bunch of guys and go over to this guy's house and teach him a lesson. You know, you can't hit your wife. And he calls up the guy, and he gets, yeah, what's up? Well, why is your wife a black guy? Well, she came out with me with a steak knife. What else was I going to do? Like, but that fact was nicely left out of the story. You see there's two sides to each story. And I say that a little bit jokingly with that kind of a story, but it's true we have to remember that there's two sides to each story and that our perspective does matter. It's like if, I, if I'm up here on stage and I draw a big number six in front of me and I look at and point here and I say, look, it's number six. You guys would all look down and say, no, it's a number nine, right? Perspective really does change things. And it's good for us to broaden our perspective and be humble in, before we start taking sides in these matters. And this is especially why Paul says we need a mediator. We know that Christ is our mediator between God and man, right? We need a mediator between us and man. That's why Paul's saying, I I ask you, true companion, to help these two women settle their differences. This is probably a pastor. This is somebody Paul trusts. It might be an elder or deacon in the church. We don't know exactly, but it's somebody that Paul trusts that can sit down with these two women and help them resolve the conflict. In Christ, we need a mediator. But we don't know what the issue was, but these two mature Christian women ended up fighting over something, and fighting in the church does not draw people closer to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Is that what we're all here for? Is we're here to draw people to Jesus. There's hope in Jesus, there's love in Jesus, and then they see the church fighting amongst themselves about silly things that have really little importance. We need to we need to remember what's important. Conflict never draws people closer to Jesus. Not conflict in the church. So as a family of God, then, let's lay out some ground rules. What can we fight over and what can't we fight over? You know, you, know, you guys have all, I'm sure, been on road trips with family. and It doesn't take very long for conflict to ensue with your family. You know, I can remember plenty of road trips, and my mom's here to attest and keep me, keep me humble with that. And anytime we go on a road trip, it didn't take very long for me or my brother or sister to be putting our fingers in their faces, I'm not touching you, I'm not touching you, or just annoying each other, and conflict is happening. And then it's a he said, she said, like, I can't believe it, and... It becomes chaos. So what what can we fight over as the body of Christ? We're all here together, and wherever two or more gather, there's going to be differences. There's gonna be division. So theologically, I I say that there's this primary doctrine, this is a primary doctrine that we have to agree on, church. This is the doctrine given to us in the Bible. Theologically, everything else is secondary or even tertiary to that. Theologically we believe that the Bible is the inerrant word of God. We believe in the Trinity. Three gods in one person. We believe that Jesus was God. He's born of the Virgin Mary, lived without sin. He died on a cross for our sins. Three days later, he rose again. He revealed himself to many people. He's the only way to salvation. We are sinners. Eternity is a long time. Hell is hot. We have to agree on some of these things here. Like this is is primary doctrines, who Jesus is, what he's done for us. Primary doctrines. Everything else is down here. But we, what we tend to fight over, and what I've experienced, church, is that we end up, up fighting over things that are tertiary, that are much less. So here's a few examples, and I'm sure this will be kind of fun for us. A few examples that I've found uh, that we fight over that aren't necessary, aren't, aren't not primary doctrines in the church. They're not core to our salvation, if you will. Worship, the style. I've heard in one service, it's too loud, it's too quiet, there's too much bass, there's not enough electric. You can't, everybody has a different opinion, amen? You guys are all entitled to have an opinion. Yes, we love that. But worship, it's not something we fight over. It's worshiping God. So there's, there's different styles of worship. The, the rapture, how about end times? We've heard of people fighting over that a few times. I, I mean, especially in the last 10 years, I've heard a lot of that. The age of the earth, honestly, the earth didn't come with a birthday like a baby. So we don't know how old it was. We don't fight over these kind of things. Um, homeschooling, private schooling, public schooling. I was... But well, I was, home, or no, I wasn't homeschooled. My wife was homeschooled. She turned out great. I love her. I was private school or public schooled and a little bit of private school for junior high. And I turned out all right. I think God's still working at in me. But you know what? We don't fight over these things. How about um, political political stuff like Democratic, Republican? We don't need to fight over these things as a church body. It doesn't affect your salvation, church. Speaking in tongues, we have different things like that. Um, air conditioning. It's too hot. It's too cold. I get those all the time. Come on. The chairs are too soft or they're too stiff. You know, it's like there's there's always going to be something church. How about the age of the pastor or the teaching style? Um, I can't believe the pastor jokes in the, in the sermon. Um, he's teaching too long or he's teaching too short. You know, it's it's always going to be something. Um, or the, just the age the age of the pastor again. I'll go back to that one. You know, I I I am a firm believer that as soon as you are indwelled with the spirit of God, you become a believer in Christ. The spirit of God is in work inside of you, and he can speak to other people through you at any age. In fact, we're getting ready for our VBS at Cross Connection right now, so we set up our stage and everything. VBS is our Vacation Bible School, and this is where we invite a bunch of kids from the neighboring communities to come and hear about Christ. And I have heard so many stories of these kids going home after a week in VBS hearing about Jesus, sharing Jesus with their non-believing parents, and their parents coming to know Jesus as their Savior. Little kids, kindergarten through, I think, fifth grade, little kids, the Spirit of God does amazing things. How about missiological? Missiological is how we do things as a church. It's our mission as a church. It's our style as a church. How do we reach out? Do we go down to Mexico? Do we go out to Peru? Do we go out to China? Where are we going? Where's our missionaries? It's, it's kind of that. We can fight over that, but ultimately, we want people to grow in Jesus, to be like Jesus, to be worshiping Jesus and being obedient to Jesus. Amen? That's our goal. I and mean, there's other things that we can, we can argue about, but those are all tertiary. We have to remember what's important. Jesus is up here. Everything else is down here. People can have their opinion. We have to agree to disagree agreeably, right? Let's well, please do that. So I found that, that while we're in church, especially being part of a church family, it's good to have a sense of humor. It's good to have a sense of humor. Jesus had a sense of humor. I mean, look at some of the animals he made. Look at some of us. You know, I always, I always would joke because sometimes walking into church, even to my, my own church or churches around the world that I've been to, it's kind of like walking into a, the, the Star Wars bar scene if you get the, the picture, where it's like you have people from every background, every age demographic, every culture demographic, and they're all together worshiping God, and you're like, wow, this is kind of weird. This is crazy. Yeah, God saved all people. He came to save all people. We have to understand that all people means that there's going to be some disagreements about certain things. Some people are going to have different styles. They're going to like the hymns sung for worship or they're not going to want an electric on the stage. Whatever that may be, we have to remember it's all about Jesus though. We have to look past some of those minor differences to what we hold true in Christ. So how do we get past some of these differences? How do we really maintain unity in the church? Verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. But Paul, did you really mean always? That seems like a long time. Again, I will say rejoice. He knew you would ask the question. He knew it. Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Rejoicing always in the Lord. Be reasonable, be gentle. Your reputation does matter as a Christian. If you have the reputation of being very bitter with people, you're not going to draw them closer to Christ. If you have the reputation of walking around like a Christian Eeyore, you're not going to draw them closer to Christ. It's really hard to be mad at somebody who's joyful, right? It's really hard to dislike somebody who's thankful. This is what God's calling us to be. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. It also means gentleness. Be known to everyone. But you know what I found? Is that disunity, disharmony in the church, conflict, division in the church, what that does is it brings out the nasty craziness in each one of us. It literally makes us transform into some little monster. Like, it's just like, man, you, have you ever, I mean, okay, here's, here's an example, and I've done this before. Have you ever been mad at somebody and you'll send a text or an email and as soon as you do that or you'll leave a voicemail, and as soon as you did, you just like, get convicted, and God's like, man, you just broke like five of the Ten Commandments right there. <laughs> and you get convicted because it's like, man, I, just, I can't believe I did that. I shouldn't have let out that anger and frustration in that form. I need to forgive them. I need to move past that and move forward to the future that God's calling me into, a future that's being more like Christ, that's being obedient to Christ, that's walking with Christ, and that's loving others, that's being unified with others in, in the church body. We're all going to the same place. We're all spending eternity together. That's a long time. (laughs) We We better start learning how to get along now, amen? Oh, that's good. So being gentle, be gracious, be reasonable with people. Remember, people are fallen. They're sinful. Remember, we are just sinners who found a Savior. We're saved sinners. We're sinners who found bread, and we're trying to tell other people where to get this bread of life. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. He can come back any time. Now, if this doesn't really stir up something inside of you to like really get up, get up on our feet and to share the good news, to be like Christ, then I don't know what else could because he, Paul's saying he could come back at any time, that Christ could come back at any time. Should that not change the way that we think, the way that we act, the way that we treat other people, the way that we're gracious, the way that we're gentle, the way that we're reasonable with other people? If we can't do this as the body of Christ, and as the people of God, set apart for his good purposes, then who else can? Then who else in the world can? We're called to be the salt and the light of the world. And yet I find, I find that people still get anxious about things. This is something that America is still dealing with. I, you know, we've been pursuing happiness for 242 years as a nation, and we haven't found it. In fact, what we have found is that antidepressants and other similar things like that are on the rise because people are depressed, people are anxious, people are working longer than they ever have been in America. We have more technology than we ever have, which we thought would actually lessen our amount of work, which but it really increased it, made us work harder for what we have to get. But we have to realize, okay, anxiety. There's a lot that the Bible says about anxiety. This this conflict caused anxiety in the church, and Paul's addressing it right here. So. If you guys will look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, you can just write that in your notes and look back at it later this week. It says, Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. Amen? That's Jesus right there, Matthew 6, 34. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to be anxious for itself. There's enough going on tomorrow. Focus on today. You know, if you have to break it down because... Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, you know, by prayer and supplication, make your requests be known to God. Don't be It's hard to like take that, Paul, and say, how can we not be anxious about anything? Well, you only have to not be anxious for 60 seconds a minute. There you go. Then, I didn't have this in your notes, but I'm going to throw this one in there too. If you just look back a few verses in Matthew, it's chapter 6, verse 27, Jesus says this, "...and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan?" In fact, I think you're actually detracting hours and days from your life by being anxious because it has just these crazy effects on our body. Proverbs 12 verse 25, "Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. Man, that, that is true. Anxiety causes depression." Psalm 94, verse 19: "In the multitude of my anxieties or in the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comforts delight my soul." Who delights in our soul when we're anxious? God does. We have multitudes of anxieties around us and and in us. Okay, so what what is just a working definition of anxiety? If you look it up, the dictionary is going to say it's a feeling of worry. It's a feeling of nervousness, unease, typically around an imminent event, something that's about to happen with an uncertain outcome. My definition would be that you're anticipating the future with the worst possible scenario, the worst possible outcome, and you're freaking out about it. That's anxiety. You're anticipating the future, and your anticipation is fueled by fear. That's anxiety. You're elevating yourself to the position of a prophet, but you're a prophet of doom for yourself. You guys see where I'm going with this? That we could just say nobody likes me, nobody's ever gonna care about me, nobody's ever gonna love me, and we can just be this, have this big old pity party about ourselves, and it can be this self-fulfilling prophecy of doom that we just put over ourselves. Because everyone else is going to look and say, like, yeah, how can I be your friend when you're always pitying? You did it to yourself. It's anticipation fueled by fear. We have to, to realize what fear can do to us. So to realize that, I have, I have another Yoda quote for us. and I'm not going to try to do the voice. My wife says I can't. It um, <laughs> says, fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. And I just think, oh, yeah, it's the progression of fear. Fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, hate leads to suffering. Now, you can be anticipating something that is good. Anticipation isn't necessarily anxiety. For example, the night before I got married to my wife, Grace, I was anticipating the next day. I was excited for it. I could not sleep. That was a good anticipation. There wasn't doom and gloom at the end of that. It wasn't fueled by fear. The other one would be, I can remember my first memorial service that I did as a pastor. And I had this Apple Watch on, and this Apple Watch has this fun feature that actually tells you if your heart rate spikes through the roof. Like, hey, you might be having some heart problems because you're not running right now, you're not jogging, you're not doing anything like that, and all of a sudden your heart rate goes up. And it was right before I was about to get up and teach at my first memorial service. And my watch vibrates at me and says, hey, your heart rate just went up above like 150 or whatever. I'm like, yeah, that's because I'm, <laughs> I'm a little nervous. But I was excited, and it was a positive thing, not doom and gloom. So what are some causes of anxiety, church? I listed a few for you. Traffic. Okay. How many of you guys have gotten stuck behind a tractor on your way to work? <laughs> okay. I mean, it's, that's not, it's not just you. I've been stuck behind a tractor sometimes too. It's like, it's no fun. Or you are anxious about driving in general because of all the other crazy drivers on the road. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> you have this, this crazy feeling that all you want to do is just use your horn and tail that it breaks. <laughs> You're anxious about driving. You have people cutting you off. You have fear. What about fear about whether you're saved or not? Okay. I hope this isn't hitting too close to home for you guys because if you are, I would love to talk to you after service about that. We can't have that kind of fear. How about fear of being uncomfortable, being put into an uncomfortable situation? If you're very introverted, fear of being put into a large crowd where everyone wants to talk to you. Fear of not fitting in. A lot of young kids have that nowadays. Don't have, you don't need to have that fear of not fitting in. Money. I mean, enough said. We have anxieties about money. There's always going to be something. Financial difficulties, uh, you just never know. There's always going to be something with money. It comes and goes. The end of the world. And it was funny because my wife reminded me of the Jim Baker buckets at the end of the world. He's like selling all of these end of the world buckets. You know, like, hey, you know, the world's going to end, but here, you can buy my bucket with all this food in it and you'll be ready to go. <laughs> so don't be anxious. You'll have, you'll be good with food. But you know, it's the end of the world though. So it's like, come on. How about your age? You're too young. You're too old. You're anxious about these things. You know, your health, health issues, fearing about having health issues. A lot of us have health issues, but then a lot of us that don't have health issues are worried about having health issues, and it causes anxiety, and it causes us to freak out because what if I get this? Okay, God's in control, people. Homework. For you students out there, homework can cause anxiety jobs for those of you uh, who are working out there that can cause anxiety too too much work too little work you don't like your coworkers family how many of us family can cause anxiety kids who are either backslidden or not walking with the lord that can cause anxiety parenting can definitely cause anxiety being isolated lonely disconnected from meaningful church family that can cause anxiety And that causes you to freak out. All of these things. It's just a list that I came up with. It didn't take that long really to come up with it because there's a lot of things that make us anxious. You might know you're anxious if you're getting paranoid or suspicious. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean that your neighbor comes over with a big old pie for you and they're your new neighbor and you're suspicious thinking, why are they bringing me this pie? Are they just trying to spy on my stuff? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like this this may mean that you're a little anxious, that anxiety is getting to you. Another... Symptom of anxiety is insomnia. You can't fall asleep. Like a pillow doesn't even come with instructions and you can't use it. You can't even sleep. Some of us are so anxious that we can't sleep. It keeps us from sleeping. You might be anxious if you have constant headaches, heart trouble, chronic uh, sicknesses, stomach problems, ulcers. These are all symptoms that are related to anxiety, I found. Just when you look it up, they're all related to anxiety in some way or another. Anxiety messes with our bodies. Another one symptom would be unnecessary spending. Like you're just wanting to spend money and spend money to buy new things to impress people that you really don't care what they think about you. But you're just trying to spend money to do that. Like that might be a symptom of anxiety. So what does the world say is the answer to anxiety, church? Well, if you look it up, the answer to anxiety, the answer if you're anxious is behavioral therapy. Just go get some therapy. Antidepressants, exercise some more. Eat a good breakfast. Alternative treatments would be Take a yoga class or go get acupuncture is what I found. And man, that stresses me out even more. Like I, I Yoga, man, I couldn't do that. Acupuncture, getting a bunch of needles put into you, I just know, like that stresses me out. And maybe it doesn't for you. Maybe that would help. But now, what does the Word of God say? What does the Word of God say? It doesn't say get on YouTube and, and vlog about it, about all your problems and your anxiety, so that way that the rest of the world can feel somewhat normal compared to what you have going on. It doesn't say to, to do that. It says to read your Bible. Right here, read your Bible. If you're anxious, start reading your Bible. Start there. So now we've gone for a full circle, I think. So don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. But Pastor Garrett, you don't know what I'm going through. I don't. I'd love to pray for you, though. I don't know what you're going through, but the Bible says, don't be anxious about anything. You have a good reason, but Paul says, no, don't be anxious. Anxiety is not good for you. And here's my, anxiety, or my, my exhortation personally to those of you before me who are dealing with serious anxiety. Read your Bible regularly, pray about everything, and start building your boat. Now, what do I mean by that? Okay, here we go. So what do I mean by that? If you become a believer in Christ, and I'm using this picture of Noah here for, for our, our background here, we need to start building our boat. Noah, as soon as God told him, Noah, hey look, the world is wicked, it's evil, I'm going to destroy it, but I want you to build a boat so you survive. I want you to build a boat. And it's this principle behind this, that Noah was obedient to building this boat for up to 40 or 50 years before the flood actually happened. While he's having kids and raising a family, he's building this boat. He was obedient to the word of God when God told him to be obedient to it. Are we doing that, church? Are we being obedient to the word of God as we're learning it, Are we learning and are we standing fast in the word that we've already learned? Are we being obedient to that word? Why? Because when we start studying this this scripture when we start reading this Bible some more, it's really hard to be anxious about stuff because we see a bunch of ordinary people that God uses in his life and he gets them through it. Start building your boat because when the biggest flood, biggest storm, the biggest thing hits your life and rocks your world, you're going to be protected. You're going to be ready for that spiritually because God's prepared you through the reading of your word, through prayer and supplication, through meditating on that word, and by preparing yourself for that. God doesn't want us just to walk into these things and react to everything that happens to us because it got caught by surprise. Like, no, Paul's saying, look, you're going to experience suffering. You're going to experience anxiety. And here's how to deal with it. You're going to experience death of loved ones. You're going to experience this pain in life. Here's how we can deal with that. Here's how we can get through. It doesn't mean I'm not going to mourn with you. It doesn't mean we're not going to be sad together that things happen that just really throw us off. But here's how we can get through that spiritually and still be whole. We have to start now. We have to start preparing ourselves now. We have to start building our boat now. The Word of God tells us what we need to be doing. Reading our Bibles, praying. So pray about everything. So there's, there's a general rule. Is there anything that we shouldn't pray about, church? Is there anything that we shouldn't pray about? He says, pray about everything except the money issue. Like pray about everything except you know the argument you had with your wife or your husband. Pray about everything except buying this new toy. No, pray about everything. Paul says to pray about everything. Prayer is so important. And I think, church, how many times personally I would have made a different decision in my life if I had first sat down and prayed about it. I would have made a better decision. I would not have fallen into sin. I would not have gotten bitter or grumpy. It's just like God would have fixed that. He would have dealt with that if I had just sat down, got on my knees, and prayed. Prayer changes things. So Paul's saying, don't want to pray about everything. Prayer is just our open, direct line of communication between us and God, right? We can talk to him about everything all day long, but then he says, and supplication. If you guys don't know what supplication is, supplication is the specific request being made to God. Now what I always tell people is the devil loves generic general prayer. The devil loves general prayer. Like you can just pray for the world. He he loves that. Why? Because you are never going to see the answer to that prayer in your life. He loves when you say, Lord, I just pray for so-and-so. I just pray for them. No, supplication is the specific request. Lord, I pray for my friend so-and-so that you would help him reconcile his relationship with his family, that you would help him get a new job, that you would help him in this interview, that you would bless him with this. It's specific requests being made to God. And God loves specific prayer because then when he answers those prayers, you all of a sudden are feeling great because you see the answer to prayer and you're like, okay, God, like we're communicating. We're get, you're getting me. We're getting somewhere with this. God answers prayer. Do you guys believe that? Every single week, we get stacks at cross Connection of prayer cards. It's probably about this big. You know, it's it's just hundreds of, of these prayer cards, and we get to go through them as pastors. I get to read prayers all the time, and we get to go through and pray for these people, and I can't tell you how many each week praise reports we get. People that have been praying for years and years and years that finally had an answered prayer. Praying for the same people specifically for salvation for years and years and years, and finally, four years later, I'm seeing this praise report. They just accepted the Lord. God answers prayer. The devil hates supplication, church. We need to be praying. That's, that's got to be a mark of our genuine transformation is that we are spending time before the Lord praying. It's a discipline that a lot of us are losing. It, and when we start, stop praying, we start drifting away from God because we start excluding him from all of our situations in life and we start boxing him into a thing like, okay, you can have my Sunday box, God, but the rest of the week is going to be my, my worries, my problems. I can handle that. It's not true. Remember, and as I said it before, we have to have a vision for the future. If we want to change, if we want to get out of anxiety, we have to have a vision for the future. What's our vision for the future? It's to be like Christ, to be with him for eternity. It's to be walking with him, to be worshiping him, to be obedient to him. That's our vision for the future. And if you don't have that vision for the future, you're always going to return to your past. Your default is always going to be like when something bad happens, when the trial hits, when the flood comes, your boat's not built and you're going to get swept away. It's going to be really difficult for you. But our goal here is that we want to be holy like Christ is holy. That's our vision. And this is why Paul is saying your mind really matters. Your mind really matters as a Christian. Finally, in verse 8, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So here you have two different things. You have the peace of God And then you have the God of peace in the same text here. And I like you guys, if you have your Bibles, underline that. It's two different things. The peace of God and the God of peace. The peace of God is something that surpasses all understanding in our life. That means no matter what situation we're going through, we can have peace and we can have joy in the midst of that, knowing that glory is to come. (laughs) Peace of God. The end is a sight. Guys, I've read the end of the Bible. I know that it's good. (laughs) I've read the last page. We know what the ending's like. Then the God of peace being with you, that's something a little different then. So we're called to think about these things. What we, allow to, to, or what we allow our minds to meditate on really will affect us. If all you meditate on is the problems that you're having, if all you meditate on is you know, that, you, that you can't do something, it will become a self-fulfilling prophecy. God's saying that you can. He's saying here, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely. If you are in the midst of an anxious situation, I guarantee you can look into your thought process and you can see like what I'm thinking about isn't true. You know, it's, it's, I've become a prophet of doom for myself because I'm seeing only this outcome of, of failure in my, in my future. I've seen only the worst possible outcome. It's not honorable, it's not just, it's not pure. It's definitely not lovely because none of us want doom and gloom. Whatever is commendable, it's not excellent. And I want you guys to gauge this week, gauge your thoughts based on this outline that Paul gives us. I don't necessarily need to go into each one of these because the Greek is very clear and the translation is almost exact, each word there. Whatever's worthy of praise. Is what you're thinking about worthy of praise? Are we meditating on the Word of God? Because if we're reading the Word of God, we're praying and we're, we're not only just praying, but we're also doing supplication, which is direct Request to God, we're spending time in His Word, or spending time with Him, all of a sudden our thoughts will become more like this. And our anxieties will become less and less and less. Because we realize that God's in control and that fear no longer has a grip and a hold and a weight on our life. You can live your life by fear, but it's not going to be good. Allow your minds to dwell on these things and the God of peace will be in your life. He you will be with you. God's in control, guys. So it, it here's kind of as as i'm getting ready to close here what i want to leave you guys with is some of you guys your your life is filled with fear you know people whose lives are filled with fear why they think like i'm a christian but god can't use me god can't use me what i've done um what i am etc 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 they have these list of excuses i'm afraid to try to be used by god i'm afraid to try to step into this so i made a list I made a list of all the people in the Bible, and this is why, why reading your Bible is good, why reading your Bible will actually help cure your anxiety. Believe it or not, it will. Noah was a drunk. You guys have any friends that were drunks, that, that, that drink too much maybe? Noah, after he built the ark, he got drunk. Abraham and Sarah were too old. Some of you guys think you're too old to be used by God. I, I say, no, you're still here. God still has a plan. Jacob was a liar. You guys know people that are liars? I do. God was going to use you. Leah was ugly. Do you think you're ugly? Please, you guys, seriously. Leo Leo had a huge role in the kingdom of God. You will too. Joseph was abused by his family. He was a slave and an inmate. Do you guys know anybody that was like that? God used Joseph. Moses had a stuttering problem. He couldn't speak. He had a problem there, and yet God used him mightily. Gideon was afraid. God used him mightily. Samson had hair problems and woman problems, and yet God still used him. And I can keep going on. Rahab was a prostitute. He used her. Ruth was a young widow. Naomi was a widow. God used them. David was a bad father and an adulterer. He used them. How many of you dads, if I'm speaking to you guys, I hope it's not too convicting, but seriously, I want you guys to hear the word of God. I want the spirit of God to give you peace. God can use you. Isaiah preached naked. Now that's just weird, but he did. Jonah was a runner. He ran from God. He got eaten by a whale. God still used him. Job lost everything. God still used him. Peter denied Christ. Three times, not just once. God used him. Thomas doubted. God used him. All the disciples fell asleep while praying. Amen. Some of us have. God used him. He used all of them, all 12. Paul was too religious. God used him. Martha was worried too much. God used her. And that's not enough to encourage you. Lazarus was dead. You got to see where I'm going with this. God can still use you. God still has a plan for you. God wants to use you. You're invaluable to Him as a Christian. Start walking in obedience. Start reading your your scripture. Be gracious. Be gentle with other people. Trust in God with all of your mind on, on the things of Him. Like what we dwell on really matters. If we want to have peace of God. So I close with this last quote here. I want to leave you guys, leave you guys with this. It's a quote from Spurgeon that pretty much summarizes this whole, this whole thing. And I just found it. And it was just a little golden nugget I had to share it with you guys. He says this. Anxiety makes us doubt God's loving kindness. So our love to him grows cold. We feel mistrust. We grieve the spirit of God so that our prayers are hindered. Our consistent example spoiled. And our life one of self-seeking. Such lack of confidence in God leads us to wander far from him. But if through simple faith in his promise we cast each burden as it comes upon him and we're not anxious about anything because he undertakes to care for us, it will keep us close to him and strengthen us against temptation. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. That's a quote from Isaiah 26. you guys all bow your heads and let's pray. Father, there's a lot, a lot of things that your Spirit is going to be working in us and through us this week, Lord. He's going to be working out conflicts. He's going to be working out divisions. Lord, he's going to be working out peace and anxiety in our life. And I pray, God, for those who are weighed down by the, the weight of anxiety. Lord, would you renew their minds? Would you restore their hope? Would you redirect their perspective to be that of a citizen of heaven, Lord, that they have an eternal hope and glory that's to come? Lord, for those whose hearts are troubled, Lord, there's those before me who are just troubled today. Whether it's health-related or job-related or family-related, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would, ex- would just pour peace into their life right now. God, it's this peace that surpasses understanding. I pray that they would experience that today. Lord, and I ask that if there's anybody in the midst of conflict that you would mediate, Lord, you would be our mediator. Remind us what's important, God, and that our goal and our, our, our passion is Jesus, Lord. Remind us what's important this morning, I pray. Remind us that you still have a plan and a purpose for our life, I ask. We ask these things in Jesus' good name, and the church said, Amen. amen.